Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen. And we are back after a couple weeks off with the holidays and being in Dallas. Everything was a little crazy, but we're finally back. Brooks, you excited to be back after a couple weeks? I'm excited. I feel like I've been living in a dream world. Um, Dallas was surreal. Yeah, I don't know if it was that way for you, but man, it's it's weird to be back to reality. No, absolutely. Like, I mean, you, everyone knows for the most part that pays attention that we've taken a lot of trips, whether it was Atlanta, Vegas, uh, Birmingham, but this Dallas trip was really incredible, you know, for, for what it meant for the team, uh, for the fan support that showed up overall, even though the game didn't end the way that Memphis fans would liked it to, uh, the moment in the weekend was, was really magical. Well, yeah, if you step back and you look at 50,000-foot overview of the season and the way it was capped off with the Cotton Bowl, and uh, you know, I guess if you take a 50,000-foot view, you feel like you're at the top of AT&T Stadium. That thing was massive. Uh, so that was part of you know why everything felt so surreal, just standing on the field and looking up to the top of that uh, that stadium was just unbelievable. But you look at it overall, and I just don't think you could have asked for anything more from this team, from Mike Norvell, from from the season in general. It's just you, you rewind to the beginning of the decade, and this has been hashed and rehashed to start the season, I mean, to start the decade the way that Memphis football did and end it with a Cotton Bowl, even in a loss, it's still just monumental for the program. Yeah, absolutely. And you and I were got to sit in the press box together, which, by the way, we haven't talked about yet much, but was awesome for me to, to be able to be there with you and watch the game in really the biggest moment in the history of Memphis football. Um, but we were sitting there during the game and just talking about how incredible, first off, how incredible the game was. Cause even though it was a loss up until that pick six, I mean, that game was back and forth, a shootout. Uh, it lived up to the hype. It was, and you know, up to that point, one of the best new year six bowls. I know they still have a few more, uh, coming up in the next couple of days, but not many games could top that up until the middle of the fourth quarter. Like it was, it was almost an instant classic. If it would have went down to a, a last second or field goal or something like that, it definitely would have been instant classic. Uh, but Brooks, for you, I mean, a, a lot of people I think know that you don't get to come to many games, especially not sitting in the press box and watching a game. So, what was it like for you, you know, being in Dallas in that moment after 12 years of, of covering this program and and being able to sit in the press box at AT and T Stadium and and watch Memphis in a New Year's Six Bowl? Well, you know, I know that there's a difference between uh, bowls like the Birmingham Bowl and the Boca Raton Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. But to be there at at the height, the pinnacle of bowl games, uh, minus the playoffs, and to have the opportunity to witness just the way that the team, the athletic department, people around the team, media, the way that they're treated – at a bowl game like this, it just shows how meaningful, how important this is. There's so much money behind this bowl. Um, You know, everything was first class. It was really unbelievable just to sit back and watch just how well run it was, how how well people were treated. It was a well-oiled machine, and Memphis just got to slide right into that machine and become a piece of Cotton Bowl history. Uh, you know, Memphis and Penn State were part of multiple records. So Memphis made its mark. The viewership for the broadcast was massive, uh, a 14% increase from the last uh, G5 team that made a New Year's Six Bowl. So Memphis made an impact, and just getting there to witness that was special for me. You know, I, I posted on Instagram one, because I, I'm feeling a little sentimental. This is our first full year together um, doing this, and we've done so much new in 2019, including this podcast. And it was really, really special just to cap it off in such a big moment and be able to – it just felt like a celebration. Win, lose, draw, 
it was a celebration of how far the program has come. It was a celebration for me of how far we've come as a, uh, as an outlet. So it was just, I don't think there's a, I think I've said the word 10 times. It was just special. There's not a better word for it. Yeah. It, it was weird because, you know, especially as much as we work, there's usually no time for sentiment. And I don't want to get too off guard on this, but there's really not a ton of time for, you know, reminiscing and being sentimental, but the, it was the perfect time. It's like everything capped off in, in, in a perfect way uh, for the season and to, to kind of see where we've come, where the football teams come was, was a really cool moment. But I do want to give a big shout out to Memphis fans because the way that they traveled was absolutely incredible. I mean, it, it blew us away sitting in the press box. And so we're sitting closest to the side that the Memphis fans were on, which if you're we're, we're facing where we're facing was the left side of the stadium. It was full. Like half of the stadium was Memphis fans. I, I, I mean, I think they announced 55,000 and me and you talked about it. I mean, we think anywhere from 30 to 35,000 of those fans were Memphis fans. So, uh, for fans to make that drive up there to support the team, I think it says, I think that says all you need to know about where this program is. Forget the bowl games, forget the 12 wins. The fact that the fan base is sold out on this program now, that it's kind of like the fan base is taking a stand itself and saying, we're not just a basketball school. We know the, you know, obviously the you know football program has taken that stand itself and kind of put themselves in a bit of a spotlight and said, we're not just a basketball school. But this was the fans' way to say that, you know, we have the football teams back. This is not just a basketball school. We're a football and basketball school. We, we support both programs. So that was incredible. Uh, even going to the Battle of the Bands, uh, Kenny and I both went, and I was blown away. Like, I was I was like, that's when that's the moment when I was like, oh, shit. Like, like, this is for real. Like, Memphis fans aren't messing around. This is, that was, I think, Friday, and it was already flooded. I mean, that was early Friday, and it was flooded with Memphis fans. And then to see the game. Uh, it really kind of put a bow on the season and really kind of put a stamp on where this program has come to. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, Christian, we're already seven minutes in. Lots to talk about, but with 2019 ending 2020, a new decade for Memphis football starting, it wouldn't be right to finish the year of our podcast without recapping just how big of a year 2019 was. Um, So I'm going to personally, I'm going to, you know, just start out with my favorite moment or most memorable moment. And, um, the, I'm also going to give a moment that I feel like I've, and I think this one's pretty going to be pretty obvious. The the moment that could have changed Memphis football the most um, that did not happen. So my favorite moment was getting to witness college game day, and this is outside of the bowl game because that that can't be topped. Getting to witness college game day from a TV perspective. I know that being there was a once in a lifetime opportunity. It was just special, but I never in my wildest dreams imagined that I'd be waking up on a Saturday morning watching Bill Street, Memphis fans and Memphis football take up the majority of ESPN airwaves for college game day. Just never in in my wildest dreams 
Uh, so that was just a crazy weird, cause I've been watching that show f- for, I feel like since it started, um, every Saturday, it's like a routine. So that was special. And the biggest moment is not going to be Mike Norvell leaving. Um, the biggest moment that I feel like could have changed the course of things for Memphis football is Joey Magnifico's non-catch against Temple. I mean, just imagine Memphis football going into that bowl game undefeated um, with a chance to to have a perfect season. I don't think it changes the outcome of that game. I really don't. But the, the you know the amount of momentum that Memphis would have had going into early signing day that uh, Memphis would have had going into that bowl game and and just from a rankings perspective not that Memphis would have made the college football playoffs I don't think that there was even even a remote shot of that happening but to be undefeated and start getting mentioned in that conversation it would just be crazy it would be insane yeah I mean I want to give a moment too but I I just can't go anywhere else other than game day like there's no other than the bowl game if we're leaving the bowl game out, like there's just nowhere else other than game day. The com- I mean, the conference championship was incredible. Uh, I mean, me and Kenny, as we were walking off the field, like the celebration was amazing to be a part of and the kind of be in the middle of. And when me and Kenny were leaving the stadium, we were just like, you know, they they did it. Like Memphis did it. You know, they this is the pinnacle for them when you know winning the conference championship. But to see game day come to Memphis like as a as a college football fan since the day I can remember like seeing them come to to the city where I you know I've been here forever to see them come here and to see the way that people came out and the spectacle of the event you know to see the setup like to go there the day before and see the setup and uh, see the parade and I mean it was it was nuts like that was such a surreal moment because you never expect that like you never expect a, a pinnacle like that like a spectacle as big as college game day coming to a city that's considered a quote-unquote basketball school so that was that was absolutely amazing like that and and we talked about it the day of like the morning when I was driving there you were like all right you know you, it's you're up like this is a this is a moment to kill it this is the biggest day of your career up to this point go murder it and then you know that kind of set in like man this is this is where it's come like this is where Memphis football has come to so that was that was awesome. Like that was to me that was the the coolest moment that I was able to be a part of and to see this team and the city kind of have that moment was was incredible and then it was an awesome game. Like that was my favorite game of the year. That that back and forth shootout uh between probably the two no I don't even think probably between the two best offenses in the conference was was incredible but just for a second to kind of put a bow on football coverage and to kind of wrap it up just to look at what this team accomplished 12 and 2 the most wins in school history, first outright American Conference Championship, uh, beat multiple top 25 teams, college game day. The list goes on and on. Like the accolades for Memphis, Memphis' football program this year were incredible. Uh, there, There's no way that there was a, there's ever been a, a better season in school history. This is number one. This is the top of the list. Uh, to be able to do what they did is, is incredible. And even with the coaching changes and Silverfield coming in and Norvell leaving, like, even with all that, there's nothing that could put a damper on this year. I think people are excited for the future. Uh, typically, there's no waiting for next year for Memphis football, and and there has been for the past couple of years. But now there's really that sentiment of, okay, we get to look forward to something special because of of what's been built. You know, starting with Justin Fuente, what's been built and where they're at now. Uh, to have a season like this really sets up Memphis well for the future, and I, I think I think everyone involved deserves props because to see the way this thing operates. From, from my perspective with, you know, from the athletic administration, from the department to the players and coaches, like this is, it's a well-oiled machine. Like this isn't Memphis football of old and, and the future is certainly bright. Well, speaking of the future and to wrap up football for 2019, what's the next biggest thing? Uh, I, I think I know what mine is. Obviously, Coaching changes galore with Mike Norvell completely cleaning out the cupboard. Uh, feels like he's even taking the graduate assistants and enrolling them as students in at Florida State. <laughs> um, uh, you know, which, you know, I, honestly, it's to be expected. Uh, so there are some people that I've seen that are kind of upset about the, the number of people following Mike Norvell. But 
It's a tremendous opportunity. So for me, my next biggest thing, I think that there's one in terms of players and then one in terms of coaches. I'm going to say that the biggest thing on the horizon for Memphis football is the defensive coordinator hire that Ryan Silverfield makes. Uh, I think it's obviously extremely important to get that right. Memphis offense, the playmakers aren't changing. Ryan Silverfield knows that offense. There's going to be some continuity on the offensive side of the ball automatically. But what does Memphis do with that coaching hire? I, I think that that's going to be extremely important for 2020. So any idea of what you might think the next big thing for, for Memphis football future is from your perspective? Well, I, I think I think it's relatively easy, especially if you're not looking at coaching. I think it has to be Brady White, uh, whether he whether he decides to come back for his final season or whether he decides to kind of wrap up his career, because as many people that have given him crap over the past two years, and I don't think I there's haven't. very many, there's not very many <laughs> anymore. Um, he finished fourth in passing yards. And I think eighth in touchdowns, over 4,000 passing yards, 33 touchdowns, only 11 interceptions. He had an absolutely incredible year. And watching him in that Cotton Bowl, I was I was blown away. I know he threw two interceptions. Memphis didn't win the game. But as far from a from a purely passing perspective on just making NFL throws, that dude balled out against Penn State. I mean, that, that defense allowed 14 points a game. Memphis could not get the running game going. And he did what he did, and, and he's the big reason why they had 39 points on the board and were in that game for the majority of the game. So I think his decision, whether he leaves or comes back, I think is the is the biggest thing on the future because if not, you got to start grooming a quarterback, whether that's you know Markevion Quinn, Connor Adair, Sheldon Lehman, or Keelan Brown when he gets in over the summer. Um, so that is, to me, that's the next biggest thing to watch because if you don't have Brady White back, it's it's time to figure something out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So Brooks, moving away from football and moving towards the basketball season, which seems to be moving along fairly quickly, already 13 games in, Memphis came away with their first conference win in their first conference game against Tulane on Monday night, an 11-point win. Started out extremely slow. It did not look good. Uh, Tulane was hitting shots from three very early in the game, and then Memphis's offense started clicking. The team started clicking as a whole, and then they looked like the unit that we've seen for the majority of the season. Uh, so, Brooks, from watching that game, uh, what did you see from this team? Uh, I know Tulane is not the best team in the conference, but they're certainly improved from last year. I think Ron Hunter is a hell of a coach, and, and he definitely brought some better talent in there. So where's your evaluation on Memphis's performance from Monday night's game? Well, yet again, another slow start. UAB, slow start. Tennessee, slow start. Tulane, slow start. There are others. Basically um, every game this year. Yeah, essentially. And this one, up until 1347 of the first half, Memphis was pretty lackluster. And really, up until the last, what was it, three to four minutes of the first half when they went on that 11 to nothing run, they weren't great. Um, but over the final 1347 of the first half, they went on a 36 to 15 run, which is just crazy. They outscored Tulane by 21 points in 13 minutes. And that was the difference in the game right there. That 11 0 run to end the first half was the ball game. Now they won by 11. So that's where Memphis really separated itself. They they let Tulane hang in it a little bit too long. They never really put their foot on Tulane's neck uh, and, and really put things away. But they're doing all of this without Boogie Ellis really playing well at all. Boogie Ellis has been completely up and down. He looks like he's playing without any kind of rhythm, without confidence. And, and that happens sometimes with freshmen. You look across the country and that happens. Uh, guys kind of hit that freshman wall. And luckily for the Tigers, guys like Precious Achua, DJ Jeffries, Lester Quinones, they're all stepping up 
They're all filling those roles um, and, and continue to play well. It was great to see Lester Quinones come back, shoot the ball at a, you know, an elite level last night. Uh, Precious was yet again very good. Damian Ball was great last night. I mean, he had a couple of plays that that made me rewind back to the beginning of the year when I was like, that guy has a chance to be an elite-level NBA prospect for Memphis. Um, so outside of Boogie Ellis, Memphis was really good last night. And I'll tell you one thing. I kind of I've been hard on Tyler Harris because he defensively has been a liability. Uh, he's a volume shooter, but he has done one hell of a job of finding his role on this team, earning those minutes, and and you saw it on one possession last night where it was just at at peak Tyler Harris defense. But he has learned how to use his speed and his size to his advantage on the defensive end as well. So that's what I took away from last night. Yeah, to me, the thing to look for, and and this has kind of been the focus all year, is what way is this backcourt going to go? Because we know they have talent, but they're extremely young uh, in the backcourt with you know Alex Lomax and Tyler Harris being the quote-unquote veterans as sophomores, and then Boogie and Lester and Damian uh, really playing a big role as well. And... Like you said, outside of Boogie, who has really been up and down, he's either going to knock down four or five threes a night or, or really be non-existent, which I think will change at some point. I think at, at some point it's going to click for him, the light's going to turn on, and he's going to be the player that we know he can be. I think that's coming. Uh, but to see Lester Quinonez's shot start to fall, I don't know what they did to his hand when they broke it. I don't know if they, they pumped some type of shot juice in there, but ever since he's come back from that injury these past two games, He's looked so confident in his shot. Uh, it looks like his release even got a little quicker, which is something that he was struggling with. He was struggling with kind of letting it go earlier in the season. He was hesitating on shots and kind of holding the ball. And now if he's got any room, he's pulling it. And that's what that's what Penny wants from these shooters. I mean, I, I'm right there on the on right beside the court during the games, right beside Penny. And anytime Boogie or Lester or Tyler catch the ball and they have any space, he's telling them to shoot the ball. He knows what he has from his shooters, and he wants them to take those shots. And I think with with Lester pulling them and Tyler pulling them, it shows the confidence that they're starting to have, and it's it's very important for this team. And then you got a guy like DJ Jeffries, who I feel like I feel like he could score thirty every game if he wanted to. He is he's been so unselfish, but he is so smooth. Uh, he can score at all three levels. He really hasn't started shooting threes yet, but I know he can. He's a very capable three point shooter. Uh, his game's really relied on playing down low up until this point, and he's still averaging ten or eleven points a game. So when he gets comfortable, uh, you know that that shot's going to start falling. Like it's it's crazy to see how far this team has come in thirteen games. When you look back uh, at the first game in the first couple games, when you didn't see a ton of confidence from the freshmen, especially in the backcourt, uh, and to see the way that they're playing. And uh, we actually haven't done a podcast since James Wiseman announced that he's leaving, and obviously that's a that's a big loss. I mean, that's the best player on your team that you're losing. And this team hasn't blinked. They haven't been phased by it. They just go out there and they take care of business. And it says a lot about the coaching staff and how they're preparing the, the freshmen to play. I mean, when you go through some of the adversity that this team has had to overcome this year, whether it's all the stuff with James Wiseman or Lester Quinonez's injury or this or that, this team has, has really showed their resolve through everything. And, and I think we see the growth this up to this point. And there's still plenty of basketball left to be played. So I think everything that we are seeing, especially over the past month or so, uh, since that old Miss game when when it really looked like the confidence started to come together and the team started to gel, everything everything after this point is is big time for this team. So you know Brooks with them moving on to conference play, having their first conference game, uh, to play Georgia on Saturday, and then really getting to the meat a little bit more of that conference schedule. Where do you see this team? What is the state of this team going into you know the biggest stretch of the season? Well, I think now you can realistically look at it and say the expectation is 25-plus wins. I, I just don't know, even without James Wiseman, I don't know how you look at this schedule, the way this team is playing, that you look at the numerics, the, the, the stats, even the advanced statistics. Numbers don't lie. You know, minus – you take the three games with James Wiseman on the floor out of the equation, and this team is still elite defensively. They're an elite shot-blocking team. They're getting better and better offensively. 
one of the things that everybody has complained about is the turnovers. Memphis has at times been turnover prone, and a lot of them are extremely stupid mistakes. And last night you saw they had 24 assists, only 12 turn- turnovers. Alex Lomax has become kind of a steadying factor for this team. Only finished the game with five points last night, but did every literally everything else. Did everything else that you can expect from a player other than score. He was a leader. Uh, he finished the game with eight assists, six rebounds for a guy who's not even six feet tall. I mean, you know, th- this guy is going to be what holds this team together. And so minus some sort of setback where you have an injury, um, this team is rolling right now. I think they found their identity. They're getting the shots that they like. They're figuring out how to play defense. If they can limit those turnovers and continue to grow offensively, um, they they really can set their own ceiling. And, and let's just – here's one thing that I think people have missed in all of this James Wiseman stuff. Without James Wiseman, Memphis is not the number nine team in the country right now. Without him initially being on the team, without him being expected to come back during that process after losing to Oregon, there's no way Memphis rises to number nine in the polls. And let me just tell you why. You see that after James Wiseman announces that he is leaving, that he has hired an agent, that Memphis actually falls one spot in the coaches poll in spite of winning a game by like 40 points. Coaches, writers, they all rank based upon what a team is expected to be with their roster. So the entire time these people are ranking Memphis as Memphis continues to win, they, they beat NC State, they beat you know, Ole Miss, they beat uh, Tennessee. They continue to bump Memphis up with the expectation that in just a few weeks, James Wiseman is coming back. And man, if this team is winning these games now, just imagine how they're a top 10 team for sure with James Wiseman back. Well, he's not back and Memphis is top 10. And what does that do? That sets you up for a, a good run in conference. And now it's all about your seating in, in the NCAA tournament. You know, obviously only, you know, uh, not even halfway through the season, they can't look ahead. But as fans, you can't help but to think, man, with Memphis in the top 10 and going to be favored in the majority of every game remaining, they now have a chance to play for w- one of the top four seeds. And that's massive. Thank you, James Wise. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, that is by far the biggest reason why they are ranked where they are ranked and where the expectations were what they were and are what they are but you also have to look at the product on the floor because like you said only three games with James Wiseman this team is 12 and one the the one loss did come with James Wiseman on the floor so this team is what eight no nine and no without James Wiseman and and played three or four of those games without Lester Quinones so like I was saying earlier with the adversity I, I don't think this team cares they don't care what anybody says because they know what they have they know the talent that they have and as I was mentioning earlier, when you look across the board, they're extremely talented, and they haven't even gotten close to their ceilings yet. I mean, you see Precious Achiwa six double-doubles this year, and he hasn't really played outside too much. And I think we see it more and more every week, knock down a three against Tulane. Uh, DJ Jeffries, like I said, hasn't started scoring at all three levels, certainly capable of it. Boogie Ellis hasn't really done anything he's capable, capable of being a great scorer. Damian Ball played his best game last night in game 13. Uh, he has capabilities of, of being a difference maker on both ends. Uh, you know what you have in Alex Lomax. You know what you have in Tyler Harris. Um, so you can really go on and on. Lester Quinones is just hitting a groove. I mean, there's so much talent on this team. Malcolm Dandridge still coming back from injury. So when you look at it, I think everything right now is is very positive. And there's something that you said that I want to hit on because it's so important is the defensive capabilities of this team. Because from everything you and I heard going into the season – this staff was prioritizing defense because they knew they had a young team. Uh, young freshman guys, especially coming out of high school, don't play a ton of defense. It's just not what big superstar players do. There's not a ton of elite defensive guys coming out of high school. So this coaching staff sold out to make this a good defensive team. And the fact that they 
are already very good on the defensive end, I think tells you everything that you need to know. This team is balled in. They're ready to go. They don't care about what James Wiseman's doing. They don't care about what national writers are saying because James Wiseman is gone. They don't care about anything but going out there and winning, and that is when a team is dangerous. When a team doesn't listen to the outside noise, when a young team is already very good on the defensive end, when you see guys starting to mesh and starting to gel, starting to get confident and comfortable with each other. So all signs point to this being a dangerous team down the stretch, especially if they continue to improve, which is really what we see night in and night out with this team. They seem to get better every game. Uh, they seem to have more confidence every game, more chem- more chemistry. And all those things, all those signs really lead to this being a successful team. So if they can if they can keep those blinders on, if they can keep, you know, really not caring about adversity and just worrying about what they have in the locker room and, and the camaraderie of, you know, kind of banding together and becoming brothers on the floor, which I think we've seen more and more of. Uh, I don't think anybody can say anything bad about this team, and it, and it says a lot about the character of the players and the coaching staff. So all signs definitely pointing forward for this team at this point, if you ask me. Well, effective field goal percentage for Memphis, number one overall, according to Ken Palm, number three overall in two-point field goal percentage, and number two overall in block percentage. Elite-level defensive numbers. The biggest thing that puts them at number 16 overall in terms of adjusted defensive efficiency is their average possession length, which is a kind of a – I guess it's a result of – how quickly they try to play, right? Other teams try to Match know, slow speed. things down. Well, no, you know, Memphis teams know that they can't outrun Memphis. They're not going to get in transition and try to outscore Memphis. That's why, you know, most of Memphis's close games so far this year have been relatively low scoring minus NC state in the old miss game. They were in the eighties. Um, but those close games for Memphis this year have been relatively low scoring. So when when teams slow things down, they extend the possession. That's what that's what um, you know Arkansas Little Rock tried to do. They tried to st- stretch it out, really keep Memphis out of transition, uh, value the ball, wait until you know deep into the shot clock and get a good shot. So when teams hold the ball, you're going to have a longer possession length, and that's going to affect overall your your defensive efficiency. So, yeah, I mean, I think looking forward, there are only four games that Memphis is projected uh, as the uh, uh, not favorite, as the loser, and that would be Wichita State. Uh, and that's primarily because it's a road game. It's a very close split. Um, Cincinnati away, UConn away. And Houston away. So Memphis has at times uh, struggled on the road. They struggled very poorly. Uh, they struggled a lot on the road at UAB. They struggled in the first, you know, uh, you know, basically the first half of the first half at Tennessee. They've got to get that figured out. I think games against uh, Wichita State, the next game after Georgia, will will kind of show us where they're at. Because going into Wichita State, uh, a team that you won't be favored against, who's a top 25 squad and has beaten some good teams this year, that's going to be the barometer. So looking forward, that's what sets expectations moving forward. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. All right, y'all. So hang in there. This is this is getting into some good stuff now because we're talking end of the decade stuff. This is all about discussion. So Christian and I are about to debate a little bit. We're going to toss out our guys, our player of the decade for football and basketball. And what we want from you is when you listen to this, I want you to hear me out, hear Christian out. If you disagree, you agree with maybe Christian, you agree with me, or you think somebody else needs to be the player of the decade for football or basketball, comment 
on the post on the article for this podcast. Let's hear it. Let's hear, you know, I want some lively debate on this because I don't think it's cut, you know, clear cut and dry like I'm going to make it out to be um, because there are a lot of candidates for both sides. So first off, football, Christian, I'm going to let you go first with football since you're the football guy. Who you got for your, uh, I guess, what is this, 21st century decade uh, player of the decade for Memphis football? I think it's, I mean, I think it's pretty easy. It's got to be Anthony Miller. It's a a guy that started as a walk-on, came into Memphis, really worked his butt off to get where he was. And when you really just look at the stats from three years at Memphis, 3,590 yards, 37 touchdowns, and his junior and senior years were absolutely ridiculous. So junior year, 95 receptions, 1,434 yards, 14 touchdowns. Senior year, 96 receptions, 1,462 yards, and 18 touchdowns. I mean, he was clearly one of the best receivers in the nation for, for both of those seasons. Uh, the only receiver, other than DeMonte Coxie, to have two 1,000-yard receivers in school history. Uh, it was just, I mean, just the heartbeat of the team. I mean, everybody loves Anthony Miller anytime he showed on the big board, anytime he's at a game, fans go nuts because it's not just about the play on the field. It's not just that Anthony Miller was really a once-in-a-generation type player for the University of Memphis. It's the fact that he's Memphis. He represents Memphis. He is from the city, born and bred, grinded his way up, was never handed anything, wasn't a big recruit coming out of high school, walked on at the University of Memphis, and like I mentioned earlier, just worked his tail off to get where he was and then to become a second round pick and to do everything that he's done uh anthony miller i think is is by 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 a wide margin the football player of the year decade decade my bad decade uh i know what you're saying and i would love to disagree with you i would love to start a debate but there's literally no other player that is the epitome of memphis football over the last decade than Anthony Miller. Just, you cannot give this quote-unquote award to anyone else. Anthony Miller is the, he is the real-life person example for Memphis football over the last 10 years. Started out as basically having to earn everything. No one expected anything from it. Basically at the bottom of the pile. You know, that was Anthony Miller. He started at Memphis. He was unrecruited by a lot of schools, didn't get the offers he wanted. He was looked at as a track guy, came in as a walk-on, and turned himself over his time at Memphis into one of the most highly regarded receivers in the history of the program, if not the most. I mean, I know that's saying a lot when you got a guy like Isaac Bruce, who's an NFL Hall of Famer, but... You know, Anthony Miller has turned himself into a staple NFL wide receiver. I've got people that know I cover the Tigers um, that come up to me. I've had two people over the last month say, man, your guy, Anthony Miller, he won me my, my uh, you know, my, what is it? Uh, fantasy league. I don't play this. Fantasy league. He he won me my fantasy league. Um, I don't play, obviously, Clear, since I don't even know what clearly, it's called. But. Very clearly. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, names and fantasy league, I don't, I don't get, but you know, you just cannot give this title to anybody else. So Anthony Miller, clear cut and dry favorite for the Memphis football player of the decade uh, from Go Tigers two four seven. So Christian, I guess yeah. basketball now. You want to go first? You want me you to cool go first? Let let. let let me get, let me go first because I want to I, I want you to play off of it I want you to debate off of me so let let me go first because I know we're I know okay. we're not unanimous on this one so for me for me oh, uh, and I know he played in in dark years in Memphis and was never on a tournament team but Jeremiah Martin is very similar to what Anthony Miller did I mean no, he wasn't a, a highly regarded recruit he came into Memphis he played under three different head coaches in four years. Uh, really didn't play his freshman year and really had to work to get to where he was. And especially when you look at his last two seasons, his junior and senior year, got the stats pulled up here. Junior year averaged 18.9 points, 2.3 steals, 3.8 assists, 4.3 rebounds. That was the year he had the Liz Frank fracture uh, right before the conference tournament. 
and uh, didn't get to play in that. Then he comes back senior year, first year under Penny Hardaway, 19.7 points, uh, 2.2 steals, 4.4 assists, and 4.3 rebounds. And that Memphis team last year really outperformed expectations, and he was the reason why. I mean, he took over as a scorer. Uh, Penny Hardaway kind of gave him the keys to the offense and the keys to the team, uh, and it was incredible to watch last year, especially with that being my first year covering the team. The only player in school history with multiple 40-point games. Brooks, I mean, you watched it last year. I think he might have had the best month. That month of February might be the best month of any any basketball player in school history. I think he averaged 36 points for that month or 30 points for that month. It was something ridiculous. Uh, he really took college basketball by storm. He was a big storyline uh, nationally for college basketball in February because of his performance. And like I said, just somebody who embodies the city, represents the city, uh, somebody that loves the city and the city loves him back. So Jeremiah Martin, to me, uh, really just embodies everything about the city. Stayed at home through through different coaches and never left, never decided to transfer, stayed here through it all, um, and now is having success in the G League. So to me, Jeremiah Martin, Memphis basketball player of the decade. All right, so this is not even clear uh, for me. I- I'm I'm torn. I made a pretty good case, and I'm gonna go. I'm 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 actually gonna give my runner up. My runner up is James Wiseman. He played three games for Memphis. He's my runner up. James Wiseman single handedly put Memphis basketball back on the map in ways that Jeremiah Martin and any other player that played from 2010 to 2019 ever could. James Wiseman created a buzz within the city of Memphis and on a national scale for the University of Memphis basketball program that no other player did. He put Memphis in conversations with elite-level recruits. He was a massive part of the reason that Memphis landed the number one recruiting class. He he helped give legitimacy to the buzz about Penny Hardaway as an elite-level recruiter and coach. James Wiseman helped Memphis get in the top ten. We already covered that. James Wiseman is a big part of why Memphis is – has positioned itself to get a a high-level seed in the NCAA tournament as long as they continue playing the way that we think they will. So James Wiseman has made a massive impact on Memphis basketball for this season and for years to come because he continues to, to cement Memphis, even with him leaving. He cements Memphis with elite-level recruits. And yes, I'm attributing some of that that should be attributed to Penny Hardaway, Mike Miller, Cody uh, Toppert, uh, Tony Madlock, their entire staff, yes. But players are the guys that give legitimacy to that. James Wiseman continues to post Memphis jersey pictures on his Instagram and his Twitter account. He associate, he is now an elite-level prospect who will be uh, a top three pick in the draft. He's a lottery pick that players will now associate the University of Memphis with. And when he gets into the league and he starts playing well and he's introduced as University of Memphis, City of Memphis, when he's associated with Memphis, that only helps as well. So I say all that. I made a pretty good case. I I feel like I made a good case for him being the player of the decade for Memphis basketball. But I'm going with somebody else and I'm, I'm disagreeing with you as well. I think you've got recency bias in your uh, selection. I'm going to go back to the beginning of the decade. And my pick is a little bit controversial because of some of the things that have happened over the last few years. And I think that's part of why he's overlooked for being the player that he was. So I'm just going to, before I say his name, I'm going to list out some of his accomplishments. This player finished his career of one of two players in the entire history of Memphis basketball to have 15,000 points, 500 assists, and 175 steals. The other, Elliot Perry. And Elliot Perry is looked at as the elite of Memphis basketball history. He's kind of one of those guys you would put a shrine up for. In his four seasons at Memphis, he averaged 26.5 wins per year that's insane that this the teams that he played on were so undervalued 
His 139 games played are number seven overall in history at Memphis. His 3,938 minutes played are number five. He scored 1,687 points at uh, number seven overall in history, 567 assists, number four in history, 189 steals, number seven, 508 free throws, number four. Uh, This guy is one of the all-time Tiger greats, and he's overlooked because, one, he's associated with the coach, and two, he made a mistake. And that's Joe Jackson. Joe Jackson is my uh, Memphis basketball player of the decade. Joe obviously made some mistakes, drug-related, is currently on probation back in the city of Memphis, making things right, doing his best to do right by the city. But on the court for Memphis basketball, there's no denying that Joe Jackson historically made his mark. There's no player that played this decade that that made his impact in every statistical every statistical category that I just named the way that he did period and I don't think it's close Jeremiah Martin had a good senior year he had a very very good senior year but his career did not do what Joe Jackson did Jeremiah Martin did did he ever take Memphis to the NCAA tournament no that did not happen. No. Joe Jackson had a lot more talent around him, though. Let's be let's be honest. Well, I mean, maybe so. Maybe so. But that also speaks to Jeremiah Martin was the best player on some pretty mediocre or bad teams. So everybody's got to have a best player. And when nobody can do anything, of course there's going to be a guy that puts up 30 to 40 points, right? Somebody's got to do it. Somebody does have to do it, but not many people did it at that clip. Yeah, I mean, so he scored the ball. Joe Jackson, for me, so we're going to go split here. We're going to go, I'm naming Joe Jackson the Memphis basketball player of the decade, and you're going with uh, with Jeremiah Martin. I, I still love Jeremiah Martin. I just think that Joe's a better choice overall. So, Christian... I think that wraps that up. We're going to put out a nice, pretty graphic for both of these. Uh, not that not that it really means anything. There's no cash prize or anything that goes with this. So uh, pretty irrelevant in the big picture. No, no actual I trophies. That said, no trophies. No, no real trophy. We're not sending anybody in kind of gold. Um, so Christian, I guess the, the best way to wrap this up is there has been some recruiting movement over the last month and we haven't really talked a ton about it i think uh now's a good time for us to do the next installment of the vip podcast memphis has dished out a f- few offers uh delon debo coleman who's originally from memphis uh top 35 four-star prospect in class of 2021 um you know another one was a 2022 four-star small forward noah bachelor memphis offered him this week um who else? I feel like there's been one or two others. There was one other 2022 offer yesterday. The name has slipped my mind, but I know there was. Uh, Sky. Let's see. Who was it? Sky? I think so. Is it? What's his? Well, Some, somebody. Sky, Sky Clark. Clark. That's what it is. Uh, Memphis Alford, five-star Sky Clark, elite-level scoring guard. Um, but here's where the big news comes into play. This is Greg Brown week. Five-star forward Greg Brown will be in Memphis this weekend to take in the city of Memphis, the University of Memphis, and the Georgia game for his official visit. Obviously one of Memphis's top priorities for the 2020 class. In addition to that, one of the biggest events that's on a nationwide scale, but one of the biggest events in the city of Memphis in terms of high school and AAU basketball that uh, sometimes goes a little under uh, publicized is the Memphis Hoop Fest. The Memphis Hoop Fest is, uh, you know, it's sponsored by St. Jude and, uh, you know, all of the proceeds from the Hoop Fest go to St. Jude. But this weekend is actually the Memphis version of Hoop Fest. It goes from Thursday, January the 2nd until Saturday, January the 4th. 
and there are some really elite level teams coming into play in this. Memphis's own Trey Draper is coming in with IMG Academy playing on Friday and Saturday. Montverde Academy, a top five team in the country, uh, will will be in as well with uh, the number one player in the country in Cade Cunningham, who's going to Oklahoma State. So let me just run through this list. These are the guys that if you head on over to CBHS, Briarcrest, Olive Branch, uh, that's where the tournament is being played. We'll be putting out the actual schedule with this podcast. But these are the guys that you'll see if you head over to this tournament. Musa Cisse with Lausanne, Musa Diabate and uh, Brandon Hundley Hatfield with IMG Academy, Kennedy Chandler with Briarcrest, Jalen Brown, uh, who's at Wooddale now. Let's see, who else? Jonathan Lawson with Wooddale. Uh, Kate, um, Kate Cunningham, you else? mentioned him a second ago. Missing? Uh, Cameron Matthews. I believe Olive Branch plays. Well, every, yeah. everybody at Montverde is a big deal. Uh, you know, um, Chandler Jackson with CBHS. Chandler's been – he's a class of 22, uh, 2022 target uh, that is starting to rack up some offers from some high major programs. I believe Mason Miller is also playing in this event. So a lot of Memphis targets uh, to see. So we'll be out there. Stay tuned for coverage of the Memphis Hoop Fest. And if you want to see those guys live and in person, you want to see what Memphis could be getting if they were to land one of those guys, head on over to one of those schools to check out the action. Christian? We're 49 minutes. This is going to be an almost hour-long podcast. This, Anything else? This is this is what happens when we when we don't do this for a minute. But no, I don't I don't have anything else. We've like you said already went 50 minutes. It's been super long, but I think we killed it. I think this is a good one. I think people are going to listen for 50 minutes. Basketball season's mid-swing. Football season's over. Bookmark the best season in school history. So a lot of things to talk about. We can't help it. You, I mean, you can't recap. The 2019 year for football, the 2019 year for basketball, the last decade for both of these programs without pontificating forever. So it's it's well worth it. It's deserved uh, from both of the programs. Christian, uh, for those that didn't see the post on Instagram, I just want to reiterate to you that I'm very proud of you. I'm happy. Uh, I, I'm very proud to put my name next to yours on what we do, the product that we put out. Uh, you've grown a ton. You push me to be better with what we do. Um, so all of that said, it's been a successful 2019. Cheers to an even better 2020 on what's on the horizon for both us and Memphis's athletic program. So Christian, you got anything else? I'm all good. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. 